Hello, hello. Welcome to the Drop the Stem podcast. The Stem Girl Gang is growing. Let me introduce you to Sophie Kearney, who at Intel Eyes of this year won the third award of $1,000 in the category of microbiology with her project of crucial importance, since more and more people acquire antibiotic-resistant infections. She developed an algorithm that determines the efficacy of an antibiotic against pathogenic species, amongst analyzing many factors which she is going to expand on. Her technology has utility to make best practices easily available to private physicians and hospital managers, since it can regulate and standardize the prescription of antibiotics. Fun fact, we were close neighbors in the microbiome section, and I can tell that she's an awesome person, and this conversation is going to be so worth to tune into. Hi, Sophie. It's great to welcome you here. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah. So your project is absolutely amazing, and I just want to dive deep into and dissect what you've been doing. So your aim is to regulate and standardize prescription of antibiotics to prevent multi-drug resistant strains from emerging even more. So what inspired you to start working on the problem? So actually, when I when she was around seven, my oldest sister, who's 22 now, um, she actually got uh, MRSA. She contracted MRSA, which is multi-drug resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which was really scary for my entire family. And so we went through the whole process of you know trying to control that, and she eventually got vancomycin, which was like kind of a last string antibiotic at the time for to treat the MRSA. And she ended up getting over it, and she's totally fine, and she hasn't had any you know. Um, rise or flaring up of that um, bacterial infection again, but that kind of has put the topic of antibiotic resistance in my family. It's been something that we've all kind of thought about and been very conscious of whenever we're getting antibiotic prescriptions, and so it was a problem that I've known about for a long time, and I kind of, you know, was thinking about what project I want to do, and I sat down, and I was thinking about the whole goal of science fair is to solve a problem. The whole goal of science is to be solving a problem in a new, innovative way to you know think beyond um, what solutions we have right now. And so I wanted to find a solution for a problem that you know my sister has encountered and so many other people around the world are encountering you know daily multi-drug resistance bacterial infections are on the rise and it's something that is really an exponential problem that we're going to have to solve at some point in the future. Yes, absolutely. So it stems from this personal experience and it's just so sad because millions and millions of people are affected by multi-drug resistant infections every year. We have to find solutions to target this problem. And I know that um, since it stems from what you've experienced hands-on, you've um, had that inspiration to continue investigating it more. You've combined microbiology with computer programming. So what does your algorithm platform Romar offered to patients? Um, so this program, Romar, or Regimen Optimizer to Minimize Antibiotic Resistance, it's a program that's almost a tool for doctors to use to um, increase the care of our patients. So the whole goal of the program is the doctor will input a bacterial infection that the patient has, the species of bacteria, and this can be found using lots of different tests. So the whole goal of the program is to limit antibiotic resistance, and the way this is done is the program, once the doctor has inputted the bacterial infection, 
the program outputs three different options of prescription for the doctors to, to prescribe. So these are antibiotic prescriptions, and there's different methods that and like regimens that I've used based on research um, done previously. And so it outputs three different antibiotics that the patient could be prescribed. And this um, each option of prescription is predicted to not only be incredibly effective or the most effective. Uh, prescription, but also to have the least amount of resistance. And because of this, whatever antibiotic prescription the patient gets using this program, they will not only have uh, be cured of their bacterial infection faster, but in the future, it prevents the opportunity for antibiotic resistance to increase. Um, another big thing that is a problem with antibiotic resistance is if a patient is taking too many redundant antibiotics for too long, that's how their commensal bacteria and pathogenic bacteria develop resistance to those antibiotics because of the prolonged exposure. So this program aims to not only have give the patient a antibiotic that will have the least potential for resistance, but also limit the amount of time the patient will have to take that antibiotic. So they uh, that's another way to kind of limit the resistance they're going to gain from that antibiotic. I see. So it provides a personalized solution based on what kind of pathogenic species that particular person has and how to prescribe the medicine based on several factors and to best optimize taking care of that patient. So it has real the potential to uh, implement your system in hospitalized settings. So what can it offer to a patient uh, walking into a hospital room? So the program that I have is a, it uses a few different factors, a few different variables to determine the best antibiotic to be given to the patient, but um, it uses the potential for resistance based on rate of resistance data found in scientific literature, and it measures the efficacy of the interaction between the actual bacterial species the patient has and the drug that could be you know, paired up with yeah. that bacterial species, and it measures efficacy using MIC values or minimum inhibitory concentration values, um, which is like kind of a standard way to measure efficacy used in scientific literature. And it also uses data such as gram stain or, you know, affinity for gram stain from the antibiotic and um, different uh, papers that have been done on based on like synergistic combinations between antibiotics, which is one of the prescription options that my program gives. But um, a patient walking into a hospital and using this program would right now currently has three different options of prescription that could be given to that patient. Uh, the first one is just a single narrow-spectrum antibiotic um, that, using all the data, um, is just the first antibiotic that's predicted to be the, the most effective while also having the least amount of resistance. And the section, second option is um, two antibiotics used, um, prescribed simultaneously to have a synergistic reaction and, and additive effect of um, both of the, like, already eff the efficacy of the two individual antibiotics. And the third option is using an antibiotic adjuvant, which is sort of a cutting-edge technology that's just now being used commercially. Antibiotic adjuvants are a compound or a protein or even another antibiotic that will decrease the mechanism for resistance of the bacteria or the bacterium. Um, and so it's my, the third option in my program prescribes an antibiotic adjuvant along with an antibiotic. So a patient could get any of those um, prescription options, and it's guaranteed that those options are predicted to have the most efficacy while also being the least resistant. 
That's so impressive. I remember the first time I heard about your project while um, I was walking through the displays and I know that your project has been so captivating because... Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely, because we have a lot of data available in scientific literature, but the thing is that you've actually extracted that and applied it in in a in a field that could be used in everyday settings and that could have uh, a potential effect and an impact on the lives of others which really makes it stand out so congratulations thank you, <laughs> thank you so much that's so sweet i think um a big thing that's you know coming in the scientific community is we've gathered so much data but Having people that are going to actually use that data and analyze it, it's something that we really need. So just doing my job. <laughs> yes, and doing it great because you participated in Intel ISAP. So how would you describe your, I think it was your first uh, ISAP experience, right? Yes. So you won the Texas State Fair, right? And that's how you got to uh, Intel to participate. So what moments would you highlight from the week? I think ISAP is just such good experience. I came into it kind of just expecting like, oh, this is another science fair competition. Like, I'm just going to go in, you know, do my presentation, get out. But it's, you're really spending a whole week with these people. And it was just such a eye-opening experience. I think being started by people who are all as big of nerds as me, <laughs> really like everyone has this common goal and a common passion. And that's something that really hit me. Like all of those kids in that room are doing such great things. They have so much potential, and it's so exciting to realize that these are the scientists of the future. Like, we're all 16, 17, 18, 19, all over, but we are all, we have such a passion for science, and there's so many good things that we can do, and that's something that was really exciting, and making all those friends with those people, and it was such a positive atmosphere, too, I think. We're all in competition against each other, but you make friends so easily, and everyone's just really cheering each other on, which is really, you know, not what I was expecting. One of my favorite moments was probably the mixer. <laughs> I went into it and I was like, this is just going to be a mess. Like all these science kids going into a room and dancing. But there was a point where I realized no one cares what you look like. No one cares what you dance like. No one cares about anything. You're just there to have fun to release the stress after judging day and just oh yeah <laughs> it was such a good environment to just be like you know what who cares I'm just gonna dance I'm just gonna make new friends have fun you know it was just it was a really like um a moment for me to just kind of let go of like all the things that I was stressing about and just you know have fun with the people that I've met and stuff I think that was really a fun moment for me. <laughs> yes, a great way to reduce stress after judging day because it, that's been such a long day. Absolutely, what you've just said about that, of course, it has the competitive aspect, uh, meaning the competition, but being together with those inspiring scientists just profiles this uh, chain reaction and cascade of inspiring each other even more by being together. And then, yeah, afterwards, just rocking on the dance floor is <laughs> one of the exactly. highlights. And how was walking up on stage? Because, I mean, that's for sure a highlight in your week. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I am a very emotional person. Or I just worked so hard on my project. Getting the prize was something that I didn't really, like, I hadn't really thought through completely. I was just like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this. And then, like, suddenly, like, I was walking on stage, winning third place. And I cried <laughs> walking up there. 
it was a very surreal moment for me. Oh, um, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was a little embarrassing that I was crying because, like, not many other people were crying, but, like, that's just who I am, and I, there's nothing else I could do but cry at the moment. <laughs> I feel you, girl. I can cry at a sad movie or something when I'm really emotional, so I think it's yeah. totally normal. And especially because you know the uh, amount of hard work you put it in the project is not just a word, but your heart and your whole being because it stems from this personal experience. You know that um, it can affect literally anyone. So, yeah. Uh, I know that this competition, just as you said, is not only about competing against each other, but to getting to know each other even more. So that's why there is a section called getting to know the person beyond the project mm. board. Um, and I know that your project topics is microbiology combined with computer programming. So there's this synergistic effect of your uh, project as well. So when did you develop interest for the latter field, meaning computer programming? So, um, in, must have been freshman year, so I was maybe like 15, I was going through ideas, going through scientific papers about things, that, topics that I was interested in, mostly, you know, microbiology, um, chemistry, things like that, and one thing that I noticed was a big rise in computer programming, the role of computer programming in the scientific community, whether it was through, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, data structures, even just like predicting the structure of a protein on through a computer program and then like verifying that doing all those sorts of things is something that was really is rising I noticed in the scientific community and I decided you know might as well hop on because in 10 years you know when I actually go into science I don't want to be left behind without the knowledge of computer programming or just at least a little bit of a background in it yeah. so I actually I did science fair my freshman year, and I just competed regional and up to state science fair. Um, but sophomore year, I took a break from science fair and learned computer program. I learned three different um, computer program languages. Which and ones did you learn? Did you learn Python, or which ones did you take? Yeah, so I learned Python, which is what my Romar program is actually written in. But I also learned um, R Studio, which is a way to kind of manipulate data and um, do statistical analysis on it. And then I also learned uh, Unix, which is just a program for like better use of your Mac or other computer. Did you learn it by yourself, or did you receive help from someone? Um, so I, for, to learn Unix, I took a Udemy course, which is, um, like, a, a Udemy is a website and has videos and different tests you can take, and it's basically like an online course, pretty much. Yeah, crash and course. Two, mm -hmm, yeah, and the other two programs I just learned from a book, um, like a, a textbook, and I went through it, and I also, a lot of programming is kind of trial and error, you like when you're you realize okay I, I want to do something this is my goal and then you like look up on google or you write out a program and it doesn't work and then you just adjust a few things until it does work <laughs> so a lot of my experience a lot of my knowledge probably came from trial and error i'd say yeah like you cannot do scientific research without having errors in it that's um, so true yeah yeah, but I really like that you um, took this break because um, in this hustle and bustle, we feel like that we have to perform every time and do our best. But actually, it's in the work that you do between those periods of having these um, achieving moments because you've truly emerged in actually learning the programming language, which just gave you such a successful tool to actually build your system. 
And I think that's been really effective to, yeah, just as you said, to keep up with the new trends that are emerging in the scientific fields. So related to conducting research and preparing for the science fair, what were some of the difficulties you faced and how did you overcome them? Um, I think one of the first difficulties that I faced was not being able to get into a lab to actually perform research. Um, a lot of local labs, um, the Baylor University is a university that's right near my um, hometown, and there's they have such a good science department and so many um, professors that I would love to work with, but there's strict regulations on letting high school students into your lab, which I understand it's safety and also um, giving up that time is such a sacrifice for that professor without much you know gain for their actual lab. Um, and even like other community colleges nearby, it was hard to get into those labs. So that's kind of one of the reasons um, why I resorted to computer programming because I didn't actually do any in vitro tests, which is what I was aiming for to do mm -hmm. um, in the lab, just testing um, in the petri dish the reaction between you know an antibiotic that my program prescribes um, and the like bacteria. Um, but I was unable to get into a lab, which was a little frustrating, but I ended up just doing my computer program and making that, you know, very advanced or as advanced as possible in that year span. Um, and it ended up being fine. But also, as I mentioned before, problems with coding. Um, one specific example I remember I was very frustrated at was <laughs> I had gathered all of my data from the... Um, the scientific literature and I put it into an Excel spreadsheet and I was trying to translate that into my computer program. So I set up like a list of lists with all my data. So I had like my bacterial species and then I had my uh, MIC value and my reader resistance data and like the gram stain and all this other information into one list. And then I put a list of those individual lists for all the bacteria and it was a lot of typing and I spent like hours on it. And then I tried to manipulate that list and, you know, actually analyze the data and get my prediction. And um, I had put it in the wrong format, and, but I didn't know exactly oh. what the right format was. So I had to keep on like, trying different things and I ended up figuring it out. And it was a, in a way that wasn't super um, effective, but it worked out in the end. So, <laughs> But that was one of the most frustrating things. I think every scientist goes through bumps in the road before they get to their final product and you just have to realize that anyone with any degree of success goes through failures and goes through hardships but you know potential for succeeding for sure and that also disproves the credibility of your research because um you know <laughs> while quoting one of the greatest philosophers of our modern age Hannah Montana nobody's perfect and <laughs> Um, no research to be perfect as well. And, and through those challenges, of course, you grow and learn and just get to know the tips and tricks of, of even programming, just as you mentioned. So yes, definitely. <laughs> there are a lot of projects to actually inspire girls to move into programming or other STEM fields. So how do you see the role of girls in these scientific fields today? I think... There is a lot of, I feel like there's still a stigma against girls in science that I have sort of experienced. I was working in, I was interning at a lab at Baylor University a couple years ago, and my the professor that I was working with came back from a scientific convention, and he, I must have been 14, 15 at the time, and I was just helping around, like, cleaning, you know, uh, test tubes and things like that. I wasn't really doing anything majorly important but he sat me down and he said if you want to go into science you are going to have to deal with the fact that you are a woman and although 
and he like he was very clear that you know women have just as much of a role in science as men but he was he said like you are going to have to realize that people are going to judge you for that and people are going to think of you as not as capable even and it's your job to basically prove them wrong he said <laughs> and I think that is something that I haven't faced currently it's something that I've always had so many people supportive so many supportive people around me but the reality is I feel like a lot of women in science are forced to prove wrong a standard that is set against them and I am really excited to go and do that and prove prove people wrong who think that women aren't as capable um but I really I see a big push for um, girls to go into computer programming and girls to go into science and engineering is something that's something that's really being encouraged now. Um, even though the stigma is still there, I think I think there's a bright future for us. Yeah, and also at Tal, the, the gender ratio was balanced, so they mm -hmm. truly inspired girls moving into science and actually presenting at science fairs, but just as you said that girls are as capable moving into those fields as uh, men are, and I know that you are already proving those people <laughs> wrong who question your ability, and, and you're gonna do the same thing. And yeah, by, by just saying that you're also inspiring girls who might have questions question marks or they do not feel competent to to carry out research because of course when um, especially when they grew up in an environment where they don't yeah. have that kind of support system it's kind of challenging and courage is also needed to step up and to mm -hmm. pursue what you're interested in who is that inspiring person uh, from any era you look up to um i think there's so many so much inspiration you can gather from looking at you know, other scientists, I think, I have two, I'll say that, I'm sorry, I bent the rules. <laughs> no worries, you can double. My dad, actually, he's a scientist at Baylor University, and um, he has gone through several different interests that he has, you know, he started as a plant virologist, and now he's working in bioinformatics, and um, he's working with mosquitoes, and uh, genetic engineering, and so working, the project that he's working on right now is um, genetically modifying the impatience plant to have mosquitocidal nectar, so the nectar oh. that is produced will actually um, limit the mosquito, the malaria-carrying mosquitoes' um, uh, reproductive systems, so that they will be unable to reproduce, and hopefully... Um, limit the amount of malaria-carrying mosquitoes in third-world countries, and even in, you know, I mean, we're having Zika is coming at the bottom yeah. of Texas, so any sort of mosquito-carrying disease, but he really, he works so hard, and he's, he's persevered through so many setbacks, I think, and that's something that's really been mm -hmm. inspiring. That sounds fascinating. The project your dad is working on is a major concern. So it's just so great to have that inspiring person in, in your family who keeps pushing mm -hmm. you to where it's pursue your dreams and goals. Yes. Um, and he really has always been supportive of me and following my science career. But mm -hmm. I mean, all my other siblings have gone off and done other things. So he, <laughs> I'm the one who's following in his footsteps. But I see. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my other scientist that I'm very, I've been inspired by, and some of that I discovered, I think a couple months ago, but um, Gertrude B. Elion, I think I'm pronouncing her correctly, but she's um, an American biochemist, and she actually won the um, the Nobel Prize a couple, not a couple years ago, a while back, she's actually deceased now, unfortunately, but she 
persevered through so much and she faced so much um so many people not believing in her and not um, taking her seriously but she eventually um she created the rational drug design which is a way to develop new drugs which is obviously something that i'm interested in um but she helped to develop lots of different antibiotics and something that i know that her work has been so influential for so many different patients like probably thousands of people who have used these drugs that she has helped, you know, discover something that's really her ability to just go in and say, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm just doing my job. And then her job ended up impacting so many different people is really inspiring. It's great to, to have those examples in your life and to take lessons from them that you can um, implement. And absolutely, multi-drug resistance strains in developing new forms of antibiotics or new combinations against them is, of course, a major a major challenge, but also a goal because super bacterial infections are going to affect um, the lives of millions and millions of people. So we have to take preventive measures for sure. Exactly, yes. And moving into another field, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and would like to share with others? The turning point, when I was younger, um, up until probably like eighth grade, I wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to teach fourth grade, third grade, and oh. that was my entire goal of my life. I wanted to marry someone and settle down and be an elementary school teacher. Um, and in eighth grade, my one of my really good friends asked me if I wanted to do science fair because I'd done it in seventh grade and she wanted to team up with me. And I didn't really want to do science fair. It didn't sound fun. sounded like a lot of work. Um, but she forced me to. And we actually ended up making it to the state competition in Texas. And um, the, there was a speaker there who was a – he had worked – um, he was a physician, and he had worked on emergency surgeries in the um, in the uh, military in the, in Afghanistan. He worked on setting up pop up tents where he would perform surgery on injured soldiers. And he told us um, during his speech, he was the, the keynote speaker. He told us that if you have an opportunity to change your life or change other people's lives, you should take it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of translated to me. I have, I've been presented with such good opportunities in my education and in my, you know, upbringing and the impact that I have on the world, the connections that I could have. Um, I can take so many different AP classes. I can go to Baylor with tuition remission. I can, you know, get into labs with you know doctor um, professors that um, know my dad. I have so many opportunities. Why would I limit myself to being an elementary school teacher? Who, it's a very important job, obviously. I love teachers that are influential in my life, but I have the opportunity to pursue a scientific career, so why wouldn't I take it, you know? My first thought was that shout out to your friend who pushed you outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> exactly. And inspired you. The next thing is that it's just such a valuable message because 
we don't realize that we have our own set of resources. Of course, it um, boils down to the individual, but it's just so important to multiply them by, by sharing them and by, you know, applying it uh, in an area where uh, you could truly be the best version of yourself or pursue something that is of a higher calling to, to help others make the best out of what you've been given. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so moving into the, onto the future, I have a feeling that you're going to go to Baylor, right? Or you yes. want to apply there. Um, but let's move a little bit forward. So after you finish Baylor, where do you envision yourself um, 10 years from now? Um, I really want to get my PhD, go to graduate school, and you know, go into you know, postdoc. And I guess ten years from now, I'll be twenty-seven. So hopefully, I will have moved to a city that I like. I'm probably not going to stay in Texas. I love Texas, but I probably want to get out a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, moved to a nice city. Um, have gotten my postdoc, gotten my complete degree, and hopefully started a career in science, whether it be you know, in industry where I'm helping with um, bioinformatics or data processing, or I could be in a, maybe in a um, university or some sort of college where I get to do my own research, but I haven't really completely ironed down exact, that's something that I've had to, I'm applying for college, you know, this summer, it's something that I'm having to choose soon, but I really, I know I want to pursue um, microbiology and computer programming, and so those are my two passions, so what's something along those lines. Yeah, the intersection of those two passions, for mm -hmm. sure. You know, they say that you can take the girl out of Texas, but you cannot take Texas out of the girl. <laughs> Say y'all, I'm sorry. No worries. I sometimes say y'all too. I know, right? All right, all right. <laughs> but, exactly. I think you have big potential to, to grow in those fields, and I cannot yeah. wait to, you know, be informed of what awesome <laughs> things you're gonna do in the future because I'm sure you, you will. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I'm applying to college um, just in a bracket this year, too, and also pursuing yeah. microbiology, so we're sisters, <laughs> microbiosis sisters. There we go. Yeah. Talking about passions and talents, I've been convinced, scrolling down on your Instagram, that you have a talent for videography and editing. So besides capturing moments, what are you passionate about? How do you like to spend your free time? I a lot of the videos that I've made, I've made a couple on my Instagram, but I've made a few more just for myself. Are moments that I like to capture from you know hanging out with my friends, um, whether we're back to Carolyn, um, or hanging out, uh, or traveling. I love traveling. I've been. My parents have given me the opportunity to go to Ireland last summer, and I've also been to Costa Rica and China and. I feel like it's such a humbling experience to how other people are living and see that, you know, you're not the only person in the world, your lifestyle is not the only lifestyle in the world, but seeing the diverse ways that humans are connecting with each other and interacting and just going about their daily lives, I think that's something that's really interesting to me. Um, but another passion that I have is um, actually choir. I sounds really nerdy, but we've already established that I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, but I'm actually in the top two choirs at my school. I'm in chamber singers and meister singers, and I've competed in lots of different competitions, um, chorally. But it's something that it's not only an art form, but it's really the technicality of it with you know the different um, 
valves and techniques and things that are I could go into a lot, but I won't bore you with. <laughs> um, I think it's just such an interesting way to express myself and creativity and all that. Wow, I didn't know that. I was so interesting to hear you sing. Do you have any videos <laughs> uploaded? Um, of me singing? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if I have. I know I have videos of different you know recitals that I've done from my mom's taken, but. Um, I probably haven't uploaded any, but... <laughs> oh my, this would yeah. be so interesting to tune into. And, you know, yeah. the thing that you said about the techniques we've learned, how to apply it in a choir, I think it also boils down to having analytical skills, which cannot only be used mm -hmm. in the choir, but in programming. And so, yeah, yes. there is this yeah. combination or, like, the linking uh, pieces together. It's really cool. I actually didn't know that you sing in a choir, but this upcoming question is just so related to what we've been talking about, is that if you had a theme song, what would it be? Okay, I was thinking about this earlier, and the first thing that came to my head is Young, Dumb and Broke by Khalid. Um, it's a very good song. <laughs> and I just think it's funny that that was the first time it came to my head. So, like, it's a song about, like, being young, being dumb, and being broke, and just going and living your life. And, you know, that freedom of accepting that you're young, you know, you're dumb and you're broke, and just going for it. But... <laughs> Yeah, he embraced that. <laughs> I think the actual, my actual theme song would be um, Put Your Records On. I don't know who it's by. I think I have, oh, okay. By Corinne Bailey Ray from, like, the early 2000s. But it's such, like, a happy song, and it's just another song about, you know, put your records on, you know, just go and dance, like, just go and kind of that freedom, the free spirit. I just love that song. I, every time I listen to it in the car, I'm just like, singing full throttle like no going back i think it's so crucial to not lose that spirit of whimsy having that young kind of childlike enthusiasm about life even when we are gonna be older because that just keeps us alive and you know children in general have the curious spirit they want to know more stuff they cannot stop questioning you know <laughs> having um that spirit just being really open to discover new perspectives and having that carefree attitude is just so important yeah and also you take life little i guess you realize the importance of little moments and not just you know the big moments of walking on stage at isf but you know Say, realizing like you know this is something that I'm gonna remember just as much like sitting in your car with your friends and like dancing it's something that shapes you just as much as those big life experiences absolutely they can be just as precious as as other bigger ones yeah we've been talking about taxes uh, what are some of the to do things on top of your recommendations if someone visits the state one of my favorite things about Texas is Tex-Mex which is a combination of food of Texan food which I guess is like southern food and food from Mexico and oh, it's spicy. just so good. Right? It's so good. I if you come to Texas I would recommend getting a, a burrito, some breakfast tacos from Torchies, um, chips and queso, all all such good options. It's so delicious. <laughs> um, another thing you know, uh, something to go do, I would say, is you'd have to go to a rodeo, um, see all the cowboys, um, you know, roping and all those different events. Um, it's really, it's such a, <laughs> a mini culture, I would say, like, 
being in Texas and the Southern culture, and I think it's just something that's really precious, and I've grown up going to rodeos, grown up eating Tex-Mex, grown up, you know, being a Texan, and I think it's something that, you know, if you want to really dive in deep to Texas culture, you got to go to a rodeo. <laughs> if I ever visit Texas, I'm going to make sure to do all of those things. Definitely. <laughs> do you rock your cowboy hat or, like, cowboy boots, too? <laughs> yeah, you have to show up in boots. If you don't show up in boots, who are you, honestly? <laughs> oh, okay. I don't want to be an outcast. <laughs> Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's just so cool. And do you have like any favorite country songs? Hmm. Uh let's see. Because I know that's of course big in Texas too. A big, yeah. Um Head Over Boots is a good one. It's talking about not head over heels, but being head over boots. Um there's another song called Holy, I don't remember what it's by, but it's it's H O L Y and it's the song the chorus is about high on loving you. Um, let's see, um, there's lots of different good songs, lots of songs about tractors and different things. Uh, Thomas Rhett is always a good, good country artist. Um, yeah, I know him, I sometimes listen to him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, lots of different songs, oh my gosh, those are just some of them. <laughs> oh, that's just so cool. Okay, uh, for the end I prepared a little bit of, um, this or that game section, so okay. we're gonna dive deep into that. Um, airplane or boat? Airplane. Okay. I get seasick. Oh, really? Yeah, then for yeah. sure airplane. <laughs> yeah. Would you listen to rap or country? Country, probably. Country, okay. Europe or Asia? Oh, Europe. Oh, that's hard though. Both are really interesting, but probably Europe. And I know you uh, visited both continents. <laughs> Yeah. Dancing or swimming? Swimming. It's always so hot here, you know. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, chill. Chill down a bit. <laughs> hamburger or tacos? Uh, hamburger. Hamburger. That's surprising. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, for me, hamburger too. You know, I've had just a really bad experience. Well, not bad experience, but it was shocking because in okay. in Phoenix, I've tried out a really great uh, wrap, actually. But I told the customer service to put in jalapenos. And I was like, you okay. know, I cook spicy and hungry. Uh, how can that harm me? Why not? Yeah, my whole facial expression changed <laughs> when I took the first bite. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, too intense yeah. at first, but you know, you get you get used to it, but it was not like Hungarian level spicy. <laughs> Closing question I ask from every guest because I just love hearing your perspectives because it's just so diverse and boils down to the individual. And the question is, what does science mean to you? What science means to me is being given the opportunity to um, solve problems that we're facing. We, as our generation, I feel like is being handed a plate of so many different things that we have to solve and so many things that we have to challenges we have to take on and I guess science needs to meet the ability to create new innovative ways to solve those problems and just being able to use you know intelligence and problem solving and logic to um, give, get solutions to those problems and things that were challenges we're having to face. That's such a great closing statement, and you wrapped, about, wrapped it up really great. And I 
just had uh, a really great time talking to you and I know that yeah. it's been such an impactful conversation too in terms of um, inspiring others to pursue science and then also be encouraged doing their own research so congratulations again on your achievements Thank and you. I'm just overjoyed uh, to have you here. Oh, yes, I had such a good time, such a good conversation. You can find us on Instagram at Dravistan Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to stay tuned for the next one.